everyone. This is Andrew Main, and this is the Maniac Podcast, episode one. Technically the second one, but this is the first one where I'm going to be answering your questions. Real quick, I want to thank everybody who tuned in to the premiere of Don't Trust Andrew Main on A&E. It was exciting to be live tweeting there, and several of you were there, and it was fun to see you. Just so you know, we were a top trending topic on Twitter for the night, which was awesome. Thank you so much. Let's get right into the questions. The first one I have is from Mark. He writes, hello, Mr. Maine. It's very formal here. I'm 22 years old and got into magic at the ripe young age of 21. I would like to turn performing into a career, but I'm sure it'll take some time and work. I'm still very inexperienced and new to the whole magic thing. Do you have any advice on what I should do to get myself going as a magician, getting gigs for performance and experience, developing a good script, etc.? Any advice would be helpful. The first piece of advice I'd give you is the same I'd give anybody in just about any pursuit that they're in, and that is to perform a lot. Find a place you can be bad and perform as much as you possibly can because it takes experience. Since you just got started, the more experience you can get, the quicker, the better. That's the most important step. If it's close-up, go out and do a lot of close-up magic. If it's stage, get on stage. One way you'll know you're ready is that you have a bunch of material. You're not afraid of performing for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever you want to do. And people ask you. People say, can I hire you? That's pretty much the point at which you got to start thinking about. That's when you want to take it seriously. When people say they want to hire you, then maybe you're ready to take it to the next step. Moving on to a question about the show, Don't Trust Andrew Maine, Mondays on A&E, starring myself, is Stacy Baldwin. Hi, Stacy. She writes... So were there any funny, interesting stories that happened while you were shooting the show? Uh, no, not at all. Okay, maybe one or two. One of my favorite things was every day was a new challenge. Every day, we're trying to do new stuff, and we did like 100 magic effects for the entire season, which means we're constantly, constantly pushing ourselves, seeing what we can do next. And sometimes they're small things, sometimes they're big things. Sometimes they're really big things. And I might have an idea early on, like, what if I took a flaming crossbow and shot it at a giant balloon holding something important to somebody? And then one day you find yourself on set, you show up, and there's a table, and there's a crossbow, lighter fluid, and a lighter. And somebody tells you, it's time for you to practice with the crossbow. Kind of the most awesome thing anybody has ever said to me. Not just a crossbow but a crossbow with a flaming bolt that I get to shoot and blow something up, which was awesome. Now, it's important that I practice this because we don't want me to, you know, murder anybody. Now, practicing means picking up the crossbow, setting that bolt on fire, aiming it where I think that big red balloon is going to be and pulling the trigger. Now, you have to aim kind of high because it's a heavy bolt, and so it takes a lot of practice to figure out how to get it right. I only get one chance when we do this. Once I grab Audi and his motorcycle and I do what I do to it, he's not going to stick around to let me try this again if I screw it up. I only get one chance to make it right. So that meant I had to spend a lot of time practicing making sure that I could fire that arrow where it needed to hit. What I did not get to practice was the explosion. I could imagine it every time I fired it, aimed it in the air, put it in my sights, pulled that trigger, watched it soar through where it was supposed to go. And then, in my mind, create an explosion. Well, here's the thing. Mind explosions are never as powerful as real explosions. So when we shot this, I grab Audi, and that guy, 
he's a sweet guy. He was scared because he didn't know if I was an assassin or what's going on. I take his bike. You know what happens next? This thing's floating up in the air. I take my crossbow. I aim it at the levitating object. Pull the trigger. Making so sure that I'm going to hit the right spot. Because if I don't hit it, then that would be kind of embarrassing. Because then nothing would happen. And I'd have to apologize to him and try to do it again. Which would be awkward. I hit it. Crossbow aimed at the right position. Bolt flies through the air. Boom! Huge explosion. And I mean a huge explosion. This was intense. So intense, I feel a heat wave. I feel just wind knocked me back a little bit. It was quite a surprise. I was not prepared for it. And I try to hold my composure and not like I'm looking too freaked out. I look over at Audi and I could see he was even more surprised than I was, which made me feel a little bit better. But that was one of the fun surprises that came up in doing a show like this. There's a lot more stuff like this, and I'll be sharing with you some more of it in later episodes. Here's a question from Olay. She writes, do you think if Don't Trust Andrew Mayne goes well, it could lead to a better chance of your books being made into movies? She writes, I really want a public Enemy Zero movie, even if it's terrible and campy, but hopefully it wouldn't be. Well, for those of you who don't know, Public Enemy Zero is a thriller I wrote, which you can check out. It's on Amazon right now. I think right now you can get the Kindle version for just 99 cents. Again, that's Public Enemy Zero. Check it out. Well, you know, what's interesting is that I've actually got some stuff in various stages of development, and that's one of the projects. It's actually with some producers right now who are trying to make that into a film, which can take a long time. Some of my other books are also in different stages of production, either with studios or producers, and these things may come to fruition or maybe not. We'll see. I certainly think, yeah, this show is probably going to help put a little more attention onto me as a writer, and in the meantime, I'm still finding time to write. Don't worry. So it's a good thing but I don't want it to be campy or terrible. Mitch deserves better. Dennis Owen writes, what are some of the differences in preparing magic for live versus a TV audience? One of the differences is that when you do a live stage show, you have months and months to prepare, and this is a show you might do for years. For TV, in some cases, like my big stunts, I only get one chance to do them, so you've got to make sure you do everything right. You have to think things through every single beat, and I've got to keep track of where that person is because generally the big stuff, I'm doing this to somebody who is not necessarily a willing volunteer. So a lot of it's trying to keep track of where they are and making sure I can pull off the magic. And I'd say that's probably one of the biggest differences I had between doing something for TV versus doing something for live. Now, we shoot these things live when we do them, and the other thing I have going for me is I have a great team of people helping me do this. Whereas a live performer, often it's just yourself, maybe some advice from some friends, and maybe some stagehands. This is a very much a team effort, and I have a fantastic team helping me pull these things off. Dennis goes on to write, Once you have a production company on board, what's it like pitching your show to networks? Are there different pitches for different networks? Absolutely. I've been out there developing magic for television for several years, as well as other shows, and every network's different, and you want to go in there with something that is tailor-made for them. I was excited about A&E because I knew this was a channel I loved, I knew this was a channel I watched, and I went in to make sure that I had the best version of what I could do for them that played up my best traits, along with what would be great A&E content, and we found a fit for that. And that's the case for anything you want to take to another network, is you want to make sure that it's a right fit for them. And that means watching what they have, paying attention to their content and their programming, and tailoring your show to that. 
My friends and my producing partners for the show, Joke and Biagio, have a fantastic podcast called Producing Unscripted on iTunes, which you can download and they get into the minutia of this. These guys are pros and I highly recommend it. Dennis writes in his PS, he would love to see another Grindel Shadow story, possibly with him dealing with a different society. I would love to see that too. I actually started writing a Grindel's Shadow story and I I wasn't quite sure if that was where I wanted to go, so I actually stopped halfway into it. But I want to revisit that character. Those of you who aren't familiar, Grindel's Shadow is a sci-fi book available on Amazon. Liam writes, Hello, Mr. Main. Again with the Mr. Mains. What is the accomplishment you feel most proud of? Well, I don't know. I, You know, I think I'm proudest, this is going to sound corny, but I'm very proud of the friends that I have. These are some great people who, when I'm at my lowest, are there to help me, and when I'm at my best, they're the ones that help me get there. And I'm very, very thankful for that. They're really good people. People you know, like Justin Robert Young, Brian Brushwood, my producing partners, Joe and Biagio, Mary, these people are actually my friends, and I'm very, very thankful to have them. And I'm very proud of the fact that I'm the kind of guy they want to be friends with, so... There you go. That's what I'm proudest of. Liam's second question is, which of your books has been the hardest to write? That's an easy question. It's always the last book. I go into every book with an outline and a pretty clear idea of how it begins, what happens in the middle, and where it ends. But somewhere around the middle, you become aware of little themes or plots, a little character twists, and it makes you rethink where you want to end the book or how it's going to end. And that's when you start to get the doubt That's when you start thinking, man, should I follow through? Should I continue this? Touching back on the question I had earlier from Dennis about the Grindel Shadow sequel. That was a point where I felt like I made some things move too fast and I didn't spend enough time with other parts of the story. Generally, the best thing you can do is just keep going, keep all the way through and finish the book. But yeah, my answer is it's always the last book, the one I'm in the middle of right now. That's the hardest book. Part of the reason that's such a challenge is that for every new book, I try to do something different. Maybe it's writing in a different genre, trying it in a different voice. I went from writing in the third person to writing in the first person. Angel Killer, my most successful book so far, I wrote from the point of view of a woman, something I don't know very much about, if you ask any of my ex-girlfriends, yet somehow it managed to work. Now I'm writing a little bit of young adult stuff and trying to write something in the voice of an 11 or 12 year old is a new challenge, but I enjoy it. So every book is the hardest one. We have another book question from Brian. He writes, really enjoy your books, especially Angel Killer and Public Enemy Zero. What is your creative process like for writing? How long does it take to finish a book? Do you have a favorite from the books you've written? Do you write with ink on paper first or direct to a computer? Well, Brian, I like them all. You know, I think an answer to your question, which is the favorite, it's kind of like the last question is like the most recent book tends to be my favorite. My process starts with, I take what I think would be an interesting conflict with a character. I think of somebody who would be an interesting person to tell a story because they have some skills that might help them solve a problem, but they're not going to be the right skills. They don't have what they need at that point to solve it. And that's what the story is going to be. Them trying to overcome this challenge. Once I have this idea, which could come from just driving around, thinking, whatever, I'll take out a legal pad and I start making notes. And that's where my books start. They generally start on paper. I start outlining notes and ideas. What are the conflicts? What do I need to know about this character? Because that's what a story is about. It's about a person or persons solving a problem. 
Maybe not when they recognize right away, and maybe they don't succeed. But at the heart of every story is a conflict. Once I have a clear idea what that is and who this person is, I think about the beats of the story. What's the beginning? What's the middle? What's the end? And that falls in line with your act one, your act two, and your act three. And there are a lot of different ideas and formulas for storytelling. But you know, the classic idea is get your hero up a tree, throw rocks at them, get them down. And then you start thinking about how to make that more dramatic, how to lead the audience into one expectation, and then surprise them in a way they're going to enjoy. I then take these notes and I start writing my outline. My outline, I go by chapter by chapter, and I set out what all the basic parts are that I have to tell in this story. And once I have a pretty clear idea from the outline of what the story is going to be and what I need to sit down and write with, that's when I begin the actual writing. Because I spend so much time planning out my outlines, writing goes by very, very fast for me. It doesn't take me too long to finish a first draft of a book. I wrote Public Enemy Zero in about 10 days, and then I did revisions after that. And also when I write, I kind of try to make time for just writing and writing alone. Clear out my calendar and sit down until I get it done. And sometimes I'll take breaks, but basically I just like to focus on one thing at a time. Now, as I've been working on this TV show, that's been different, but I still manage to find ways to write. I'll write on my phone, I'll write on my laptop in bed, wherever I can. I try to squeeze in that time to write. Everybody's different how they write, and I'm trying to take as much time as I need to tell a story, not more, not less, and whatever works for you is what's right for you. The thing I'll tell you, the one piece of advice that I think what was critical for me in my development as a writer was learning how to outline. That's what made the biggest difference in my life. Once I could sit down with an outline, I knew if I had a story. I could see the beginning, I could see the middle, I could see the end, I could see the character conflicts, I could see all the things there in the outline. If they weren't there in the outline, I wasn't going to try to find them in front of a computer blindly. I knew that was not the path for me because I would spend a lot of time writing and writing and writing and then having to edit away things rather than telling the story that I wanted to tell. Here's a magic question, the quick one. Daniel Lee wants to know if I'm going to be going to Magi Fest this year. That's a big magic convention. I think it's in Ohio. Daniel, I don't think I'll have time to go there, but I'll have a lot of friends there, so I'll be there in spirit. Our last question is from Ken, who actually sent in an audio file of him asking the question. So here he is. Hey, Andrew. Um, regarding the uh, self-publishing, I've always imagined self-publishing is like taking your well-polished masterpiece you've slaved over and throwing it on a heap of brony fanfic. I don't expect my I don't expect a first book to you know make a fortune or even anything, but um, but ideally it gets to as many of the right kind of readers as possible. Um, <clears throat> do you have any advice on keeping a self-published book from getting buried in the heap? Also, is there another chronological man adventure on the horizon? Thanks. Well, Ken, nobody wants their book to get thrown onto a heap of brony fan fiction, unless your book is brony fan fiction. You know, it's hard because you write something, you put it out there, put it on Amazon, put it on Barnes & Noble, make it available on other platforms, and then you want people to find it. But there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of ebooks being published a year now, which means it's hard not to get buried. Step one, write a good book. That's the first step. It's an important one. If you write a good book, then people tend to notice it and it can keep coming up. But that's not enough often enough. 
what you need to do is after you write the book, talk about it, put a blog post about it, maybe create a web page for it, and find ways for people to discover your book. Now, it gets expensive if you want to try to do Google AdWords or things like that, but what you want to do is keep looking for audiences that might like your book. And that means reaching out to people, being a fan of other stuff, keeping it visible on your web page. And the best thing you can do really is to keep writing because people who find your new book are going to look back for your old books. And that'll keep the process going. Whenever a new book comes out for me, people tend to go back and to see what else I've written and my sales increase. That's the best piece of advice I can give you is to keep writing. The second best piece of advice, which may actually be better than the first piece now that I think about it, is every time somebody says something nice to you, ask them in a polite way if they could go on Amazon or another review site and tell people. Fresh reviews help your book get seen. Amazon has its own mysterious algorithm for introducing books to other people, but every time somebody goes in there and says something nice about your book, that gives you another positive review and it makes you more visible. And your last question, am I going to write another Chronological Man book? I hope so. I have some great ideas for that, and that is the number one question people ask me concerning my books. Will I write another one? Which is a pretty good indication that I should write one, and I plan to. Well, I've reached the end of the questions here. If you have a question, send it to questions at andrewmain.com. You can ask me about the show, Don't Trust Andrew Main. You can ask me about my books. You can ask me about weird things. Ask me whatever you want. I mean, even if I'm not qualified to answer, I'll still try to give it my best shot. Now, as I record this, we have a new episode of Weird Things that just became available. If you haven't watched Don't Trust Andrew Maine, you can actually get the first episode free on iTunes. You can watch the two most recent episodes for free on AETV.com. So check it out. Till next time, keep it weird. <laughs>